If we have never met before, my name is Gavin Sledge, and I oversee our youth ministry here at Creekside. So our 7th through 12th grade uh, ministry, I've been doing that, which is about to hit two years this, I guess, next week, which is pretty crazy. Um, But I've loved every minute of it. Came from Southwood. I was a fellow or an intern there beforehand. Went to Texas A&M, class of 2015. Whoop that. Yeah, no one. That's cool. Hey, that's all right. Um... Yes, I love it. This is really cool. As you can see, we are in a new building or new room from the the gym, and so we're going to have a few technological difficulties and stuff, but that's all right. We're going to keep rolling with it. Um, I love that y'all get to be here, and I get to join y'all today, um, because this is where we normally have youth ministry. This is where we have our Sunday um, youth gathering over the fall and spring, so it's really cool having y'all kind of jump into a little bit of our world. You can kind of smell it. It smells lingering of like that mac and cheese and chicken nuggets right, the elementary school. And so um, we're really, really glad. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Matt getting to ask me to come back up here and share a little bit. Um, so we are going to be in Matthew 28. If you have your Bible, Matthew 28, most of you are be, like beings like, ah, great commission, like typical Grace Bible Church, right, sermon. Like, I know this one, make disciples, go and do these things. And yes, we will talk about that, but we're going to talk about a verse right before that, that I think is really powerful. Um, one that's challenged me a lot in my faith um, and really encouraged me a lot in my faith. Um, in that. So we are continuing in the Founder series that we'll be going through all this summer as we're looking through diff, different New Testament leaders. I kind of cheated and I picked 11 of them. And so I'm going to talk about all the disciples in an overview of the disciples right before they get the mission, right before Jesus leaves them to go on um, to be with the Father and stay at his right hand. And he commissions them to go and make disciples. Um, there's a special point with these disciples that I think is really, really cool that we're going to hone in on, um, on the idea of doubt right? I love leadership. I love equipping leaders. That is one of the things I love so much about my job, getting to work with our staff and our volunteers and getting to empower them and encourage them and speak into them what the Lord has already declared, um, that they all have a mission to help people find and follow Jesus, right? And so when Matt asked me, hey, can you talk about the founders? And can you talk about New Testament leaders? I was like, yes, like there's so many cool, we can go over Timothy or over Paul or all these guys who made incredible changes and talk about humility or talk about just, I don't know, anything, right? But, but God laid this idea of, of doubt. And one thing that I think really pulls us back in leadership, one thing I really think really pulls us back in, in joining and partaking in what God has called us each to, um, and that is to go and make disciples. And so even right now, as I say the word leadership a lot, I think especially in American mindset, we kind of just say that is a, a powerful man who has authority, right? We think president, we think CEOs, anyone, I want to dismiss that idea. That is, that is not the biblical idea fully of leadership, right? Leadership does have authority, but leadership has an influence and an opportunity. Um, it, is, it is empowering others. It is serving others. It is using that influence for your mission, right? And so each and every single one of y'all has an influence, has opportunities, right? So I would consider every single one of y'all a leader, and I think leadership plays out in different ways, but I think each one of y'all has an opportunity Right, and I love that the most of our youth ministry is out in the back. And like, it doesn't matter age, it doesn't matter occupation, it doesn't matter what you do or who you are. You all have an opportunity and an influence. Um, and what we're going to get into is you all have a mission. And so I'm excited to share this message with you all to break this down a little bit. So if you have your Bible, like I said, Matthew 28 is where we're going to be jumping in. And I will toss it right there on the slides. If you don't... Um, just because I know youth ministry world. Most people don't bring Bibles, and that's cool. So we'll have it right here. So starting in verse 16, it says this. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came, to the, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you for Creekside. We thank you for just this church. Lord, and the freedom to worship you. Lord, we thank you that your love and your grace allow us to be in a relationship with you, Father, that we can know you and be known by you. Lord, and I pray today, God, that we can know you deeper. Lord, that you reveal yourself to us in a way that is fresh, that is new. God, you encourage us, you speak into these things, Lord. And God, I confess, even as I stand up here, I wrestle with my own doubts and I wrestle with my own securities and I, I feel inadequate. Lord, and I thank you for the truth of who you are. And I thank you for this truth that we're going to go over, the Lord, that you are bigger than our doubts. You are bigger than our fears, God, that you speak truth when we feel insecure. So, Father, I ask that you speak through me. Let this not be Gavin's words. Let this not be to glorify me or to glorify the name of Grace Bible Church, Lord, but let this be so your name is praised high above any other name. Lord, and, and we, we, we hope for that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So now I'm going to ask that you spend a moment and pray for yourself. Would you just close your eyes? Would you ask God, speak to me today, you know, and confess any burdens you're coming in with, any fears, any tiredness. Lay that at the cross and, and ask that he will speak to you today. And then I ask, would you pray for one another? Pray for the person on your left and your right. If you know them by name, great. If not, just still pray for them and, and ask that God would speak to them that they'd be encouraged by this message. And lastly, I ask, would you pray for me? Would you pray that God uses me and that these words are not of my own, but the Spirit moves to declare his truth and who he is? Well, Lord, we, re we lay these requests at your feet, God. We thank you, you desire, that you delight in these prayers. Lord, we pray and ask you to move in this time. Pray also in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, well, if you know anything about me, if you spend any time with me, you would come to know very quickly that I'm a huge superhero fan. Growing up, um, I would run around in a Batman cape in my Batman little costume, probably till I was about 15, right? Yeah. But I love superheroes. Batman is absolutely my favorite. That's just always, I've had comics, I've read comics, um, I've watched all the movies. And so this semester has been a big weight on my life. Right, because the new Avengers Endgame, if y'all know anything about Avengers, this is a culmination of 11 years. Almost half of my life has built up to this moment where I get to see my favorite superheroes defeat evil. Right, and I love it. And I know these characters. And I, like I said, I, I was 15 when the first Iron Man came out. And I got to see him. And I've, over the past 11 years, I've gotten to get pulled into this adventure and this story and this narrative coming up to what is two months ago, what I think the greatest movie of all time and the culmination of a historic point of our life in Avengers Endgame. Um, so by, I'm going to ask you all a little participation, because I'm always curious of, how many of y'all have gotten to see Avengers Endgame? And I know, yeah, that whole section is like, yes. Awesome, so good. Well, I'm going to try not to spoil it for the rest of y'all. Um, however, if you have not seen it, I'll just love you to know, you're in the minority of the world. The world has all seen this movie. It's incredible. Like, it has broken records back to back to back. And so there's your little encouragement. Um, go see Endgame. It's three hours, so take a nap beforehand. Um, pace out the bathroom breaks. But it's an incredible cinematic adventure, right? So throughout all this time, I'm about to also 
a lot of today's, I'm going to share some of my, my brokenness, some of my struggles with y'all. Um, and this one, please don't judge me. I already had two people in the last service come back after and said, I almost left when you shared this piece of information. And that is, I'm not a Captain America fan, right? I know, what? That's crazy. How do you call yourself an American and you don't love Captain America? I have the American flag right next to me, right? But yeah, Captain America, I don't know. I just always felt a disconnect with him. I felt like he was too happy, hoorah, optimistic. Everything is great. Like, we don't need to think of a plan. I have this cool shield and follow me and we'll defeat everything that gets in the way, right? And I was like, okay, that's great. But like, you're not going to talk about it. Like, you're not going to figure anything out. Like, are you kind of stressed? Like, have you even slept today? Right? I'm thinking through all these what ifs, right? But he's like, no, like, we're going to go and we're going to win, right? And so for me, it's just like, I wasn't, I wasn't about that. I just never felt that connection and that, that, yeah, that connection with him. On the other hand, Iron Man, I love. Because I think for him, you could see his realness. You could see him processing. You get to see anger and all these emotions. But, but finally, in this last Endgame movie, you get to see a p- different piece of Captain America that I had not seen before. And so I'm going to give you a little background for y'all who are not Marvel fans, which is totally okay. Just go watch them. There's about 22 and 56 hours worth of movies. Right? But, but building up, there's these superheroes, and they continue to defeat the evils because there's always something that it wants to destroy Earth for whatever reason. We're just always in the way of whatever they want. So there's always these people who want to destroy Earth. And so they're doing this for, like I said, 21 movies worth of entertainment to come to this final point where they, they lose. Never happened before. The Avengers have never lost. And this guy comes and destroys them, takes away half their team, destroys the world, and they're left like, what just happened? Right? So we jump into the end game, and there they are. They're trying to deal with the results of their loss and, and the loss of their friends. They're trying to come up with a plan to make everything work. And, and it's really cool because you get to see their emotions and the play on that. But there's a moment with Black Widow and Captain America going, and they're flying on their cool space jet because that's normal. And they're headed to defeat the bad guy and hopefully revert everything back. Right? And there's this line where she looks over to him and she says this. She says, this is going to work, Steve. That's Captain America's name, if you didn't know. And he says this with his cool beard and deeply man voice. He says, I know it is because I don't know what's going to happen or I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't. Right? I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't. And for the first time, something clicked. It's like, that's why. That's why I've never been able to connect with, with Captain America because for, for me, I'm a natural doubter. I wrestle with insecurities and low self-esteem and, and, and he doesn't. He's got the good, strong muscles, the good hair, the like, great personality. Like, he will just give you a motivation speech in a minute. You're like, all right, dude, I'll follow this guy wherever he goes, like to death, and they do that all the time. Right? This guy was the epitome of what a great leader and a great hero was. But I just felt that disconnect. And for me, the first time, I got to realize, okay, it's because I just can't relate to that. That's where I would like to be, but the reality is I, I don't. I have my doubts. I have my insecurities. I have my, my fears and my questions. But finally in this movie, you get to see that there was that moment of, I don't know what I'm going to do if it doesn't work. That moment of question. The moment of reality of, we're going to keep moving, but, but even now I, I doubt. Because I've seen failure. Because I've seen that I wasn't enough. And that's affected things. Right? He showed humanity. He showed doubt. He showed weakness. And what I love is that didn't make him less of a hero. It didn't make him less of a leader. It just made him real. And so today we're going to be talking about the idea of doubt. We're going to be talking about how, how ultimately doubt can restrict us, but, but, but what I love is how Jesus responds to our doubt and how he walks in our doubt. 
And the main point I want y'all to walk away with this is with this, is, is doubt doesn't disqualify you from Jesus's love or purpose from your life, right? Doubt does not disqualify you from Jesus's love or his purpose for your life. So let's jump into the scripture. I'm gonna give you a little background because this passage just, there's a lot going on. We're ending the book of Matthew. We're, we're getting towards the end. This is the last verses of the book of Matthew. And so just to give you a little background on what's happened, this has been Jesus's, Matthew's followed Jesus's life and his ministry, where he's come to earth, fully God, fully man, born of the virgin, right? He's walked amongst other people. He's loved, he's poured out, he's taught, he's led others to know that God is good, that God has a plan for them. He's, he's healed the blind and the sick and the paralyzed. He's fed the 5,000. He's risen someone from the death, right? He's completed miracle after miracle. This is what Jesus has done. And now, prior to this, though, he, was, he took on the cross, right? We, we all know this. We, we just celebrated Easter about a month ago. Jesus took on the cross to die for our sins, to pay the penalty that we never could. And then he didn't stay dead. He instead rose again three days later, providing a way for us to follow him, right? Defeating death and sin, right? So this is what Jesus has done. And so we're jumping back. He's now resurrected, He's made himself known to the women. He said, women, I need you to go gather my followers, my disciples, and I need you to bring them to me. He's appeared to a few other people, right? But this was the culmination. This was the moment of, of Jesus was now going to meet with his most faithful followers, and he was going to give them the motion to continue on to what we now know 2,000, later, 2000 years later of, of the church, right? To equip and call the disciples and the apostles to go and make his name known, to bring together the body of Christ for a mission and for a purpose, Right? So this is, this is what happens. Is he says these things. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is his command. This is his mission for them. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Right? A verse we all know so regular. And so I want to break it down because towards the end, this is going to be the mission for all of us. It's the idea of go. Right? Go therefore and make disciples. I know when I first think about it, it's like, oh yeah, that sounds like a cool mission trip. Like, right, like youth, we're going to Louisiana next month. Right? We're going to go to Louisiana to bring the good news of Je Jesus right, in the city of Ruston and help kids and love on kids and run camp, right? Or we're also sending a team to El Salvador on Saturday to go and do those things, right? I need to go somewhere to go bring the gospel. That's not what go in the Greek actually translates. It better translates to as you go or wherever you go, right? So even today, as you leave this place, as you go to lunch, go and make disciples. As you go back to work on Tuesday, go and make disciples. Wherever you are at, whatever you are doing, however old you are, go and make disciples. All right, so idea of go, I love that it doesn't restrict us to just a trip. It opens up every opportunity within our life to do these things. And discipleship, right? What is disciples? This is another big grace buzzword. We say this a lot. We are passionate about making disciples. And I love that our team has come together and we've, we simplified that. Right? We define discipleship as helping people find and follow Jesus. Right? Each and every single one of us, I'm not saying us as church staff, but us as in the body, is called to go and make disciples, to help people find and follow Jesus. Right? That's not restricted upon, like I said, occupation. It's not restricted upon age, how old you are. It's not like, hey, become a college student and then you go and make disciples. Or, hey, hit this level of Bible memory, and then you go and make disciples. There's no restriction on what that is. He just says, go and do this. All right, that God has called us to spread his kingdom by sharing his good news so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
All right, so we're going to go back. We're going to jump back into this idea and this story. So knowing all that, knowing what the mission is, knowing what Jesus has done, the time he spent, let's enter back into the interactions with the disciples. So once again, it says, Now the eleven disciples went back to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Right? That makes sense. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He had just defeated death, paid the penalty of their sin. Right? They know who he is. They love him. They've spent time with him shared experiences, to see my risen Savior in face-to-face, of course, it is logical that I would fall to my knees and worship him because he is worthy of those things. Right, but those next three words are the ones that threw me for a loop. They worshiped him. All of them worshiped him, but some doubted. And like, like I said, I've read this verse so many times and I've skimmed over that one and, and missed it just about every time. But some doubt, and that doesn't make sense to me. How do you stand face to face with a savior who just risen from the dead, death, and bring doubt in? You've seen him feed 5,000 fish and some loaves of bread. You've seen him walk on water. You've seen him raise Lazarus from the death. You've seen these things, and you stand in his presence, and you bring doubt in. Right? And I say, and I said before, like, that doesn't make sense to me, but if I'm being honest, I'm actually is very comforting to me because I know there's times where I've seen God move. Man, I've seen God redeem high school, middle school students. I've seen him speak life and, and deliver them from sin and from brokenness and from death and allow them to walk in new life. I've seen miracles. I've seen so much. I've seen this church engage and empower and walk through the every knee and, and, and continue to push Jesus into Bryan College Station. I've seen miracles. And yet I know in my own time that I still doubt, that I still come to God and question, is this real? Am I good enough? Can I actually do these things you've called me to? And so to be able to see that the 11 disciples who went on to change the course of the world forever, to make incredible impacts, stood there in front of the Messiah and their Savior and doubted, gave me hope. Right? So what I want us to realize is such periods of doubt are not fatal to our usefulness. Our doubt does not disqualify us once again from God's love or his purpose for our life. Right, so what? What could have caused this doubt? We're going to come and break down that word of doubt a little bit. Um, One specific, I think it was important when I was studying this, is what does doubt mean? Because my brain initially goes to unbelief. If I doubt something, I don't believe it, but it actually defines more to, to waver, to hesitate. To doubt is to waver in trust, to waver in confidence. I still know it's there, but I don't know if I fully trust it, right? I could sit in this chair, but I could be hesitant because I haven't sat in it before, right? But I, but I believe it's a chair. I know it's there, but, but my confidence is not fully present, right? There's a hesitation. And you see this word doubt only two other times in the New Testament. Once with Thomas, and we'll talk about him in a little bit, and the other one with Peter. Um, and so Peter, as he was in the ship, and Jesus comes and walks on the water, and he draws him out, and Peter says, let me walk with you. And Jesus draws him out, and he walks on water. Peter himself walks on water. I don't know if any of y'all have tried that, but I've yet to be effective in walking on water. I keep hoping every time, that like, man, my faith is good now. Like, I can walk on water. It's yet to happen. But Peter stepped onto water, right? Walked, kept his eyes fixed upon Jesus, and walked on water. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that there's a moment where he begins to sink. A moment where he f- takes his eyes off of Jesus and instead moves on to the storm that is coming. Right? The circumstance in front of him changes. 
as hope goes away from Jesus and onto the circumstance and onto the situation, and he begins to sink. And Jesus comes near and pulls him out. He says, oh, you of little faith, why have you doubted? Why have you wavered? Why have you hesitated? Right, and so that idea, I want you to keep that. I think that's an important distinction to know that if you wrestle with doubt, and I think specifically that's what the enemy wants us to know, if you wrestle with doubt, then you don't believe. That you're not, that there's something wrong with, with your belief or your faith. And, it, and it's just, I think, what Jesus comes and speaks into. It's, it's, it's an issue with our hope. It's an issue with our confidence. Right, and so recognize doubt as hesitation, as wavering. Right, and so I think there's two reasons why they could have doubted. The first one, we're going to go back to the idea of Thomas, right? Thomas doubted that Jesus was who he says he was, that he was truly the Messiah, that he was truly resurrected, and so he needed proof. So he asked, right, and Jesus showed him the holes within his hand, he said, no, right, to answer that doubt. And I think some of the disciples might have stepped up, and, and, and maybe that was what the doubt came from, that I am doubting or I'm hesitating that you are truly who you say you are, that you are truly Jesus, you're truly the Messiah, that you're truly resurrected standing in front of me, right? For some of us, that might be where our doubt stems from, that our doubt comes from a disbelief or a, a hesitation that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's not just a good person, a historical, but he is truly God, that he's the only one who can redeem us from our own sin, right? That, tr- that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior that has been promised, and he is the gift of grace that we don't deserve, and so maybe for you, you've, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never truly believed that he is God who's died for our sins to deliver us from the depths of hell and give us eternal life with Father. Right? Maybe that's where your, your doubt comes from. You've never truly believed that. And if so, I, I want you to know, first and foremost, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here because I truly do believe that God desires to know you and make his name known to you today. I pray that, that if you're wrestling with that, you'd come talk to one of us, either myself or any of us on staff, or a friend maybe who invited you, or a family member, and just say, hey, like, tell me a little more about this, this Jesus and, and what it means for me to truly put my faith in him. Right? And the second doubt, I think, comes from a one that I can currently relate to, to pretty often. Right? A second reason they might have doubted, coming from a, a doubt of shame or a doubt of, of guilt. All right? So I'm thinking about where these disciples were coming from when they stepped onto this mountain. Right? They had just seen their Savior right? Die on the cross. Die for their sins. And prior to that, a lot of them had forsaken him. A lot of them had, had, even Peter himself, had betrayed Jesus three times. So I can only imagine, G, or Peter, the last time you saw him was he was hanging on a cross, and you betrayed him right before that. Now to step in front of him would just be a level of just complete shame and defeat and question of, how can I even stand in your presence knowing how good you are and only seeing my brokenness and only seeing my, my sin and my struggles and the way I just have forsaken you, forgotten you, and, and completely just done all these things, and yet here you stand in front of me. It wasn't a, a disbelief of Jesus. It was a disbelief. It was a, a hesitancy that I'm even good enough to be here. It was a, a thing that pulled them back that I could never step into your mission because I have disqualified myself because of disobedience. Right? That's where that hesitancy, I think, came from. And now they are standing right in front of the one who died for them, who's loved them, who's now calling them, about to push them. And I just think that there's just that moment of, wow, what have I done? Because here you are. Right? And if I'm being honest, and like I said, 
this has been a, a constant battle for me. Um, one time in particular that I was thinking of when I was working through a sermon was, um, so I came to know the Lord young growing up. Uh, my incredible grandmother, who's actually right here, led me to Jesus, and it was incredible. I didn't really grow up, didn't spend much time growing up, going to church. Uh, but freshman year of college, I created this thought of who God was, that God was a God who, if I did good, that he would reward that and that we'd be on good terms. Um, and, but freshman year, I, I started to jump into Grace Bible Church. I had some incredible friends in the core invite me to the church. Um, we walked to the Anderson campus. For me, it was an excuse not to go get yelled at by the upperclassmen and to actually go eat and be in peace for a little bit. Um, but instead, God had a bigger plan. Uh, Matt Morton was the college pastor at that point, which is so cool how God has kind of just done this full cycle. Um, and he, I remember for the first time really just sitting there and engaging with the word and looking at who God truly is, not this God I created. That God is a God of grace and love and redemption who's drawn me out, that I don't need to work my way out of it because I can never do that. But instead, he's delivered me from these things. And so that first semester, man, I was on fire. I was loving the Lord. I was in Bible studies. I was spending time with him. I was I'm just really, really on fire. And then uh, towards the end of the fall, I had an awesome opportunity to apply to work at a Christian camp called Pine Cove in East Texas, um, one that I spent a couple years at as a kid when I lived in Tyler. And so I said, yes, like, I would love to do this. I absolutely am. I'm passionate for Jesus. I, I want to help other people find him and know who he is. I love working this, with kids, and that sounds really cool. Um, Sign me up. So I did some interviews, did the application, did all that, turned those things in. Um, the semester ended, and then I left College Station and went back home. Um, and for me, home at that point was just really difficult. I was, I was coming off of a, a difficult season of life where my parents had divorced senior year, and I had just not dealt with that well. Um, I have two incredible parents, but just because of some issues, I didn't deal with that well. And so I went back into that, and I went back into just some destructive friendships and community, and all my buddies were doing the same things we did in high school. And so I just was surrounding this community. I wasn't really making time to spend with the Lord, and I just disconnected from these things, and I, I went deep into to my own desires, right? Because of my anger I had towards God, the reality of now there are two Christmases and now there's all these difficulties. I just gave up on the Lord and I kind of pushed him away. And I said, for this season, I'm just going to live for me. And I don't think I ever consciously said that, but that's the way my actions played out. And so I got back into, into partying, into all these just empty idols and people's approval and validation, acceptance, whatever it be, the list goes on and on, right? And I just spent a, a season of my life just living for myself. And I came back to school and, and kind of just started getting back in the rhythm and my core buddies would start, hey, you're going to come back to Bible study? I was like, I don't know. This semester is kind of crazy. It's just excuse after excuse. So I, I, probably not. Maybe, maybe next week. Ask me again. Right? But for, my, for me, it was, it was more than I just, I don't think I could have stepped back into that. I saw what I had done, and I, I'd seen the mistakes I'd made and the sinful life I'd lived, and I just didn't think I was good enough to get back into that room, to get back into a relationship with the Lord. And so I kind of just dismissed it and pushed it off. Um, and it was easier just to make excuses than actually to deal with it. Right? But then comes along March, and I'm still in kind of the same state, and I get a phone call, and I answer it, and it was from a camp director in Pine Cove. He said, hey, Gavin, we've looked over your application. Sorry it's taking us so long, um, but we would love to offer you a job to work this summer with us at Pine Cove, right? You'd be working with elementary school kids at a day camp, partnered up with the Boys and Girls Club. So these are kids who are coming from broken homes and broken families who just have a lot of needs, and they're really struggling, and they need people in there to show them the love of the Lord. Right? And so we thought you would be a perfect candidate as we prayed over this. Um, we feel like God is leading us to offer you a job. I said, hey, thanks so much. I'll call you back in a week. Let me think about it. Let me see what my summer looks like. Right? And as soon as I hung up that phone, I just wept, just broken. 
Because all I could think about was how messed up I was, how much I rejected the Lord, how God has tried and tried to seek me out. And I just said, no, like I'm going to live for me. And now I was being asked to go and lead and work at a camp to share the gospel when I barely believed the gospel myself. It just didn't make sense. I just felt like God was just throwing me around. Right, but that week as I spent more time thinking through and praying through it, I saw the incredible redemption that is the Lord. That even in my brokenness, God still desired to draw me away from those things and commission me and restore me back to what I was originally called to. Right, that summer changed my life forever. It's what I, I hold to actually brought me here to work at the church because that was, was never my plan, but obviously it was always God's plan. Right, but for me, I felt broken. I felt ugly. I felt never being used again. And I, I, as I stepped back, I realized, yeah, I, I know that I am saved. I know that I will spend eternity with the Lord. And for that, I am grateful. But till then, I feel useless. That my brokenness is too big and I'm too ugly or, or too not, not brought together that I could actually ever be used for anything good. That man, if you knew my life, you would just discount me right, right there. If you knew my struggles, you just pushed me away and say, all right, this guy knows nothing. All right, how could I be used for anything good with all that junk behind me? Right, I, I doubt it. And maybe some of y'all are there too. Maybe today y'all are walking, it's like, Gavin, like, that's great, but you don't know what I've struggled. You don't know the brokenness I've seen. You don't know the hurt I'm walking through. You don't know how unequipped or inadequate I feel. And you're right, I don't. But I do know the God that delivered me from those things, that restored me from those things, does. And I do know that he desires you more than anything. Right? For me, I saw the Lord on that side, and I just saw my junk building up. I said, okay, maybe if I work through that stuff, I can finally be good enough. Right? But that was never the reality. Instead, Jesus was right next to me. He said, we are going. Like, go, come with me. Let's go at this together. Right? Because I was never holding... God up. God was always holding me up. It was never dependent upon what Gavin had done, but only fully dependent upon what the Lord has, had done. Right? And so what I, what I love about this message is, is come with your doubts. As the disciples had doubts, they still chose to worship. They still chose to come, to show up. And what I think is the most incredible thing is not the disciples' faith in showing up, and instead is Jesus' response and how he responds to this doubt. Because I've created some different pictures as how Jesus had responded to my doubt. But what I love is that God had included this idea of doubt. And this is what Jesus says. The first three words that follow, I think some of the hardest three, but some doubted, come next three words, and Jesus came. All right, do you catch that? Here I am in my brokenness and my doubts and my insecurities and my fears, and Jesus steps in. He doesn't step away. He doesn't back up. He doesn't question them. He doesn't doubt them and say, hey, you come back once you get it all figured out, and then you come back to this mountain, and then I'll send you off. No, he steps into their mess, into their brokenness, doesn't question anything, just draws near. Right? And that is true to who our Jesus is. That is true to who our God has always been. He sees brokenness, and he doesn't run from it. He runs into it. That a destructive and horrible world, that Jesus was born fully, perfect, holy into this. Right? Who did he spend time with? The prostitutes and, and those who needed hope, those who needed to be loved. And why did he die? Because he knew that you were never going to be good enough. But he deemed you worthy. That's what Jesus does. 
in our weakest moments, and when moments where we have personally disqualified us from, Jesus' truth is bigger than any truth we could create, and he steps into those moments. He steps into your life because he knows you and desires you and he loves you. Romans 5.8 is one of my favorite verses. It says this, it says, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? While we were still sinners, not once we got it all together, then Christ died for us. Not once I hit, you know, coming to church over half the time of the year, then Christ died for us, or, or, or any of these things that I do know. It's while I was still dead, while I was still evil, while I was a children of wrath and dead in my trespasses, wicked and an enemy to God, Christ died for me, and Christ died for you. Doubts, fears, failures don't disqualify you from God's love. Right? That's the beauty of this message. And instead, what he does next is, is he affirms who he is. As he draws near to them, he speaks. In these next words, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? That's kind of counter to what I imagined the first words out of Jesus would be. I'm, I'm more, think of more like a, if I come with my doubts, that he's going to be more like Simon Cowell and be like, like you're pitiful. Like, get away. <laughs> like, you've wasted my time. Get out of here. Right? But that's not what he does at all. He doesn't say any of those things. Right? Instead, he says this. And, and I think this is a very important verse. And I think often, once again, we look over it. But he doesn't scold them. He doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't even question their doubts or challenge. Or he challenges them. But he doesn't question them. Right? But he speaks and he affirms who he is. Why? Why, why does Jesus do that? And I'm going to go back to the story of Peter, back to when he walked on water. Right? He's walking on water whenever his eyes are fixed upon Jesus. When his faith and hope and confidence is in Christ, then he's able to do incredible things. Right? But as soon as his eyes veer off of Jesus and onto the storm, right, he begins to sink. And why? Because at those moments, his hope and confidence became upon himself. Right? He realized that as a man, I cannot and should not be able to do this. That the circumstances just don't make sense. That, the, that what is in front of me does not line up with what I am doing. That my hope and confidence has become myself and not the foundation of who the Lord is, not who God truly says he is. And that's what I'm trusting is in self. And so what I think Jesus does here is Jesus challenges what their authority, what their hope, what their confidence is in. And he brings them back that, that your doubts aren't wrong because for you, your doubts are very true, but your doubts are rooted in, in a word, I don't know if it's a real word, but a word that I use often is in untruth, in, in lies. The, the, your, your doubts are rooted in lies because your hope and confidence is in something that, that's not able to hold to you fully. Right? For me, I, throughout my life, I put a lot of hope and confidence in what people think of me. I struggle a lot with self-validation with validation from others. Right? A lot of that roots from my own insecurities that I'm not good enough. That I'll never be good enough, but if other people praise me or, or think I'm good enough, maybe that will help, right? But that is what I've come to find out after running this race for so long. That is a moving target that I will never be able to catch. As that is my hope and my confidence is what other people think of me, that is a moving target that I'll never be able to catch. However, if I can fix my eyes upon Jesus and what he says of me, because that is truth and nothing will change that that I am loved, that I am forgiven, that I am a child of God, that I am an ambassador of Christ. All these truths of who I am in Christ, not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done. That is a foundation I can stand on confidently. All right, so what Jesus does is he challenged 
what is your hope in? As they come with their doubts, as they come with their fears, their insecurities, it is focused upon what I have done. It's focused upon who I am. It is, it is these things. And Jesus says, no, draw it back to me that I have all authority, not only in heaven, but also on earth. That I will rule this earth, that I'm over this earth, and I am also authority in heaven. That I am fully God. That God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and I are one. That I have the authority. Not you. Not creation, but only creator. Right? That he is unchangeable, that he is faithful, that he has beaten death and redeemed you, and he loves you and nothing can change that, that he is our living hope. Right? He is worthy of our confidence because he will never fail us. And so as he pulls them in, as he draws them in, he speaks into their doubts. He, he lets them know that, that I love you, that nothing can change that. But even in your doubts, I'm going to commission you and I'm going to send you off. Right? So what? That idea of we are all called into the Great Commission. Right? What is stopping us from the Great Commission? Once again, I'm going to say it again. That nothing disqualifies you. There, there, there are no factors pointing from, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to the Great Commission. Regardless of age, regardless of gender, of, of occupation, you are all called to go and make disciples, right? I have a cool opportunity because I get to see high school, middle school students jump into this mission and say, my age does not disqualify me. My age gives me an opportunity to go into my hallways, to have a, a Bible study over lunch with my football players or whatever it be, to go and share the name of Jesus. Right? Each and every single one of us is called into that same mission. Right, and that excites me. Because I see a room full of disciple makers who can go and change the world. And especially in Bryan College Station, I know so often I even catch it in myself. I've been here for eight years or whatever. It's like, okay, well, I can walk into any coffee shop and there's about 42 Bible studies happening right now. Like, do I really need to go make disciples? It feels like everyone's got it figured out, right? I turn on the radio and every other station is a worship song. Like, okay. Like, we have like a bajillion churches at every corner. But man, Brian and College Station, there are people who are dying to know his name. That even here, the people you work with, the people you rub shoulders with, the person who, who checks you out at HUB, right? Your friend in your class, whatever it is, there are people there who need to know Jesus. And you have been called to share his name, to make his name known, to help them find and follow him. That is your mission. Each and every single one of you, one of us, and I know that that can feel like a heavy burden, but know that God is in that with you and that God is for you and that God has equipped you and God will be with you. For lo, I'm with you till the end of the days. Right, so as we move into this next time, and, and how do we respond, and I, I love it, and some, some personal applications is, is just as the disciples came in with their doubts, they had their, their fears or their questions or whatever, they still chose to worship that they chose to say, this is what I believe, but I'm going to declare these things, right? There's a, there's a very impactful verse that says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I've hold on to that one, that there are, there are things that I know, but there's times where I don't truly believe them. And oftentimes I just have to choose to declare those things until my heart believes it, right? And so I'm going to ask the worship band to come on up and we're going to have a, a response, an opportunity for you to worship once again for us to declare that Jesus is our living hope.
And for you, I, I will also want you, maybe it's the second one. Maybe you, you don't know where you're at with the Lord. And I want to give you an opportunity just to sit and to pray and to spend time with him, to confess these doubts, because look, that these doubts don't pull you away from the Lord. They actually, as we confess them, they have us an opportunity to draw back with him. Or speak to someone. I think that's been incredibly powerful in my own life, as I've had a community of brothers and sisters and, and mentors and friends in my life who continued when I wrestle with the own thoughts in my head, my own doubts, and as I continue to share with them, they speak truth and love in those moments. Right, they've come alongside me, they've helped me through the hardest of times. Right, and no truth, just as Jesus has declared that he is the authority. We can only know these things are true if we spend time knowing these things are truth. Right, so spend time in the word, know this is active, that, that as we have our doubts and we continue to go to the word, that, that, that invites the Lord back into our life as, as we renew our mind with these truths. And then go. As you go, as you leave this place, you have a challenge and you have an opportunity, you have a burden in front of you that you know this truth. And there's someone in your world who I promise needs to know this. That this is not a task that's just set off for for on-fire college students who go to camp or, or, or church staff. This is a task for all of us, an opportunity for all of us as believers to be a part of the incredible redemption story of Jesus Christ in this world. All right, we'll continue to do that until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. All right, so forever, you, wherever you're at, I, I, I ask that I'm going to close in a time of prayer. And then will you choose to worship? Will you choose to declare these truths of who Jesus is with us? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come Lord, to study your word, um, to be with community. My God, I, I, I thank you and I confess, God, there's so often that I see my own failures, I see my own struggles, God, and I, and I wrestle with my doubts, I wrestle with, with my own insecurities, Lord, and I thank you that your truth is bigger than my thoughts. I thank you that my circumstances and in my situations, my insecurities, my doubts, my fears, my questions, they don't define who you are. Lord, that you are love. God, that your grace and your mercy are great. God, that you desire to know me, every part of me, and every part of us. God, that you draw us out of these things. You've delivered us from evil and wickedness, and we are now a new creation in you, Father. So Lord, I pray for, for each person in this room, for wherever they're wrestling with their own doubts or thoughts, God, that you speak into these things, Spirit that you move into their hearts. You stir up new love and affections, God, and that through the realization and remembrance of what you've done on the cross and on Calvary for each one of us, that we go into a world that needs to know your hope. That we can be beacons of hope and love and the light that it comes only through Jesus. God, in a world that is dying to know your name, we thank you that you are with us, that you call us, and you delight in us not because of what we've done, Lord, but only because of your love through Jesus. Father, be with us today as we go. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.